Hey everyone, welcome to this edition of the Not So Common Podcast. I'm Pat Country. This is a solo edition for uh, Tuesday, November 13th, 2018, a week out of the midterm election voting. I hope you voted on Pat Country. Uh, I was a little sick over the weekend, a little sick, but you know what picked me up? Seeing my buddy Eli Manning win a football game, a Monday night football against the lowly 49ers. Eli Manning, I know he has half a brain cell, but he's my guy. He's a, he's a legend in New York. He won two Super Bowls, uh, taking down the evil Patriots twice, two of the greatest Super Bowls ever. That first one, they beat that undefeated Patriots team. And even people say, oh, Eli was just carried by the defense. Not that second one, buddy. Uh, 2011, Eli Manning was a beast. He was like an you know MVP caliber quarterback for a few years, and that was one of the years where he he put things together. And Eli never really had um, any sort of elite um, running attack or wide receiver core for those two Super Bowl runs. Tiki Barber left the year before in 2006 because he was a prima donna baby, um, and then the closest they had was Plaxico Burris and. He wasn't best of the best. He was good. But that 2011 team, there was slim pickings there. We got Manningham and a couple other guys. Anyway, so Eli's always going to be my guy. I'll defend that 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 idiot until the death. He's my idiot, though. You can't make fun of him. Only I can. But, <laughs> but you know, Eli's 37 years old, so he probably has only a couple seasons left at most. And we'll see if the Giants even keep him after this year or trade him away to some team that might be ready to win now. Uh, Eli's still good if he has any sort of protection. When people always talk about Eli sucking as a quarterback or he's washed up. Yeah, you'd be washed up too if you got sacked, you know, uh, 50 times a season. You would be washed up too when your your uh, offensive line gives you half a second to throw the ball. Brady couldn't perform in the conditions that Eli Manning has had to uh, endure the past 3-4 years. So I don't I don't want to hear. It. That's people don't know anything about uh football that just say, "Oh, Eli sucks. He was never good." No quarterback is good uh, without a, without an offensive line, unless you're like Aaron Rodgers or Michael Vick, and you can scramble around. But that's a rarity when it comes to the quarterback position. And this is not necessarily a sports podcast, but I thought, I thought I'd get it out there. People have already dialed uh, out there. So the midterms happened. Oh, quick, quick, quick uh, update about Halloween. So the Halloween thing happened last. Uh, what was that? Was that two weeks ago? Halloween happened. It was kind of surprising that I didn't get many groups of like actual children in the neighborhood. I got a lot of uh, groups of. 13-year-old girls, 14-year-old girls, maybe like 8th graders, 7th graders. And uh, that's fine, but I wanted to give out candy to children. And there was maybe only three or four sets of children. I don't know if that because it was too late, but it seemed like the trick-or-treating didn't really start until after like 6. It was like 6 to 8. It was nothing like 4 to 5.30. It didn't seem like there was anything going on. When I was a kid, I ran out the door at 3 o'clock, and I was trick-or-treating you know, for 6 hours. <laughs> Screw homework. You know, you got to go out and trick-or-treat. Uh, maybe it's different on a Friday or Saturday. I spoke, about, I spoke about that last time, how that's really the prime the prime days for Halloween is really Friday or Saturday. Wednesday could be the worst day for Halloween out of them all because it's right plop in the middle of the of the week there. So, okay, elections happen, all right? Uh, let's see, the Republicans gained two in the Senate. That was what pretty much people were predicting because it was, it was, you know, it was a strong... Uh, map for the for the Republicans for the GOP this time out it's going to be a lot rougher in two years, uh, but the Democrats did extremely well. Remember, six years for a senator, every two years for for uh, House representatives. So the Democrats did exceedingly well. Uh, the blue wave was it a blue wave? It doesn't matter. They they're they're up plus thirty two seats now. Uh, they took back the Senate 
and they might get, I think, closer to 40 when it's all said and done. They still have to count votes here and there. So, But they regained 32. Uh, they, they went plus 32 overall. And I think they held. If I, if I well, if what I read was right, the Democrats didn't lose one incumbency throughout the U.S. in the House, which is a, an amazing statistic when you think about that. That no Republican beat an incumbent uh, Democrat throughout the U.S. So uh, voters were, were not were not pleased for the past couple of years, and and usually the Democrats historically don't come out for the midterms. That's always been the the um, the the strike against motivating the democratic base was that, Oh, they don't vote in the midterms. They only vote for the president. Not this time around. Something's been annoying them. I'm not sure what, what orange thing could be that they could be upset with, but that's what happened. So I'm just, I'm going on a, uh, let's see, ballotpedia.com, which is an excellent resource, by the way, ballotpedia is good because, um, ballotpedia lets you know in your own uh, district, like what, what measures and propositions are up for, uh, for elections, uh, what, what representatives, who, who represents what. It's it's very in-depth, so that's good. So this is basically the summary. Republicans expand the control of the Senate by two. Democrats take control of the House. Um, there, uh, U.S. Senate election in Arizona switched for Democrat Kristen Sinema over, over Martha McSally. There's recounts still going on uh, for at Florida for Senate, Governor, and Agricultural Commission for all three within 0.5% points in Florida. Uh, Democrats flipped seven governorships. It was very lopsided before. I think it was like uh, 30 to 20 or 32 to 18, something like that. So now it's about even there. Um, Georgia's still too close to call. Republicans flipped one governorship in Alaska. Uh, There's a lot of other stuff going on here in terms of of House legislatures and things of that nature, or excuse me, state legislatures. But most, uh, most swung more Democratic this time out. Uh, there's only one state left with a divided uh, legislature, and it's Minnesota. Okay, there you go. So, uh, so it was a good good night for the Democratic uh, Party for sure. Republicans they didn't lose any any seats really overall in the Senate. So that's good for them. But no one again, no one expected them to. Next time out, I don't think it's going to be as nice as a map uh, for them. Oh, well, legalized marijuana in Michigan. There you go. I'm not sure why it's not legalized everywhere at this point, but there you go. 367, here's, here's an important one, 367 state legislative seats flip Democratic. 367. Historically, a wave election at the state legislative level occurs when one party loses at least 494. 367 isn't nothing to sneeze at, though. That's a lot. Remember, remember your state houses and what you vote on within the state. That's what that refers to, you know, which affects your life more than you think. You know, you get to vote for your state representatives as well uh, every once in a while in the state houses. So uh, there you have it there. But the most important part of the 2008 midterms was most important to my life was uh, Proposition 7 in California, which was to permanently banish us falling back with daylight savings. The daylight savings measure, that's right. Proposition uh, 7, which is a permanent daylight savings time, which means once you spring forward one year, that's it. You're done. Clocks are set forward. Uh, It's dark in the morning. It's light at night. And that's how everyone should want it. And that's the best thing for all. I am so depressed now. And we just, uh, it was only a week and a half ago where we uh, pushed the clocks back on that Saturday night, whatever it is, 2 2 a.m. becomes 1 a.m. It sucks. 
it sucks because now when I leave, when I, when I go to yoga, it gets dark at, at you know five o'clock. But it gets dark at four thirty now. But when you get out of yoga or your place of business, when I used to work in an office, you get out at six. You you can't tell if it's six o'clock at night or midnight. You can't tell. It's depressing. No one likes it. It should be light out still. I'm recording at six fifty p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and it's I there's there's no besides you want to talk about um, workers on on farms maybe that's really the only advantage to this of falling back and switching this still. What was it like 15 years ago? They shortened the amount of time that we have this awful darkness at night. Now <laughs> they, they shorten it. it used to be it used to uh, fall back with your clocks before Halloween. So screw the kids trick or treating, right? That's what they thought. But now it's after Halloween and it used to be like after Easter, but now it's before Easter. So it's, it's truncated. They truncated by, by about, I think three to four weeks off the top of my head. So that's good. So it's no longer six months. It's like five months that we have it, but there's really no reason for it to exist anymore. And when they look at all the research, um, there's so much more energy savings when you, when you shorten the amount of time, because when people come home, it's still light out. Then there's less electricity being used. They don't have to turn on all the lights. And that's what they discover, which makes sense. You can say, well, Pat, in the morning, they'll be using more lights. But yeah, but most people go to work, they leave their domicile and they'll have more, more, most people spend more time at home at night with lights on versus that when they were in the morning, you know, talking like five, six hours versus a couple hours. So when you look at it like that, then yes, you, 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 you want to keep the lights, lights off as much as you can. So this doesn't mean that California is going to go through with this. This means though that if this comes up federally, I believe Let's see. Uh, a yes vote supports allowing the California state legislature to change the dates and times of the daylight savings time period as consistent with federal law by a two thirds vote and establish permanent year round daylight savings time in California by a two thirds vote if a federal law is changed to allow for permanent daylight savings time. So it, basically, it opens a door for when a federal law goes into effect. Then California is already set. Like, oh, yeah, we're, we're waiting. F- feds, we've been waiting forever on this. And that's really the best for all. It's really the most depressing when you were a child and you weren't, uh, when I was like eight year old, nine year old, chubby little pet, you get home from school. I got home off the bus by, it was something like two twenty, two twenty five. We got out of school like two o'clock, uh, my Catholic school. And it wasn't that much of a bus ride, like 15, 20 minutes. We'll just say two thirty. So what, when the fall came, you're back in school. You get your sweatshirt on. You go play your, you know, your street football, your your street tennis, which is more of a street tennis on the, on the asphalt was more of a uh, summer activity. But you know, street football, we still play wiffle ball. But I, uh, street hockey, we played. It was or or just playing tag with your friends or hanging out. I had friends like six blocks away. You walk over, you hang out. You play Nintendo, whatever. It was fine before you switch to daylight savings. Because before it would get dark at you know like five thirty, five forty-five. By that point in time, when you're when you're like a seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, you were already eating dinner. You were you came home around five fifteen usually. Five thirty, the latest we were at home. We were eating before six, and then you did homework afterwards. At least, at least that's what I did. I was doing homework, you know, like six forty-five for like an hour. You watch a little bit of TV, you go to bed, you go back to school. God, I do not miss going to school. I do not miss doing homework. The only the, I have two recurring nightmares only in my life, or at least bad dreams, not necessarily nightmares where you wake up in a cold sweat. Number one, number one uh, for bad dreams is in grade school, missing the school bus leaving. 
So going back inside, and you, you left the book, you had to go to the principal's office to talk to someone, and you see your bus pulling away when you're like eight years old. And that happened once or twice when I was a child, except they would just call your mom, she'd come and pick you up, it wasn't that big a deal. But that's my bad dream number one, and I can still picture it in my head how that looks from the school, seeing the parade of yellow school buses pull out and, and go into the street. That's bad dream number one for Pat. But bad dream number two isn't grade school related, but it is uh, schoolwork. Bad dream number two is that I'm back in college. It's like a Sunday night. And it's like, oh my God, I had a 10-page paper that's due tomorrow and I haven't worked on it yet. So those are the two bad dreams in Pat's life right now that I still have. It has to do with uh, obligations to doing poor work that you're not in control control of or missing out on your on your uh your your bus ride home so you can go home and get and get get even chubbier a mom baking you nice brownies or, or cookies before going out and playing street hockey for an hour but it stunk with daylight savings when, once you uh push the clocks back because then it gets dark at like i think the worst was when it would get too cold to go out maybe early december in New Jersey, then you know, climate change now, I have no idea. I mean, before I moved, it was like, I was wearing shorts on Christmas Eve in like 2008. Uh, anyway, so, but if you could stay outside, you come in when it was dark. You know, if you're eight, nine years old, you get a little older, 10, 11, 12, your parents give you a little more responsibilities, at least minded. But at 4.15, it would start getting dark out. And by 4.25, 4.30, it would be, you would think it was eight o'clock at night once you got to like early December. So you couldn't basically play again outside until, I don't know, until a month after December 21st, which is winter solstice, which is the shortest day of the year. Once you got to like mid-January, it started getting normal again. I know it was cold out, but so it just made your, I guess, your your leisure time as a kid, which was extremely invaluable, especially when you go to awful school every day. It's like you're in prison. It made that leisure time, even that extra half hour meant so much to you as a kid. The difference between going outside and playing for an hour and a half or two and a half hours is a huge gap when you're a child. You 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 really make those extra extra minutes last when you're a kid. And this is to me, I if this happened when I was this this getting uh, permanent daylight savings, if this happened when I was six years old, this would change my life. This will change children's lives out there. And plus, it'll be safer for children, by the way. Yes, in the morning, you walk into your bus stop, it's a little more, you know, it's a little more dark out. You got to be careful. Everyone's got a everyone's got a flashlight on their cell phone or you, you buy a little flashlight for a kid, a little LED flashlight. They'll be fine. No one was going to get hurt. Maybe a couple of kids get killed. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, this is more important. It's more important. Permanent daylight savings time. Spring forward, but never back again. I am so thrilled that this passed. I didn't even look up the rest of what's going on with anything. To me, this is more important than my House of Representatives with my congressman. This is more important to me. This is this is a weird, lifelong sort of pet peeve of, of mine is the daylight savings uh, shift back and forth, especially in the fall. So there you have it. Um, this is actually uh, more of a, a sad note now the the death of Stan Lee at 95 Stan Lee of course was a huge contributor to Marvel uh, first it was Timely he started in the late 30s I believe he was more like a lower assistant intern he built this up and obviously uh, uh, he's, he's in recent memory been known for all his cameos since he's been out of really writing comics for quite a while now 
uh, his recent cameos in all the MCU films and other films too. It's like it's like twenty five to thirty films. He's had cameos in, in all twenty MCU films, uh, the two Fantastic Four movies. Set he's had the cameos, the three Sam Raimi Spider Man movies. I believe the two Amazing Spider Man movies. Um, he also had cameos in a, one or two of the X Men uh, films as well. They they've kept them out of most of them, but he's been in a couple of those. So that's how people pay reverence to him when they see him on screen with these cameos. It's like oh my god, it's Stan Lee. Um, and from what people say, Stanley was a very nice guy. He was very uh, progressive in terms of what he represented and what he brought to light in his creations. You know, he uh, X Men he created or co-created was an allegory uh, for racism and civil rights struggles in the '60s. Uh, he, he created uh, Black Panther. Enough said there. That's saying enough said. Uh, Fantastic Four kicked off the Marvel Age. Uh, co-created with Jack Kirby, which I believe was a play on the Challengers of the Unknown, which he did for DC Comics, which is a big comic that Frank's like. Frank's like, uh, he likes DC's Doom Patrol, Challengers of the Unknown, and Fantastic Four, these like groups of superhero teams. And of course, my favorite, Spider-Man. So to me, what Stanley helped do in the 60s was create a comic book world so different than DC where it was more science-based, it was more down-to-earth, the superheroes had real problems, the superheroes didn't necessarily all get along with each other. So the DC world, it's like, oh, they're all titans, they're all gods and goddesses walking the earth. Superman and Green Lantern and, and Wonder Woman and Flash, they all have these godlike powers that are based on mysticism or, or magic in some way. Uh, there are exceptions uh, to that rule, of course, but by and large... Uh, there uh, Batman is an exception using technology and money but he's like the only one of like those big DC guys where he's really like one of those guys using tech to get to get ahead uh, on, the, on the Marvel side though everything was based somewhat in science once you got to the 60s you know gamma radiation gamma bomb uh, for the Incredible Hulk which was a, a play on you know uh, scare of nuclear annihilation and, and the Cold War um, then uh, Iron Man using technology, solely technology. Uh, the Fantastic Four get beamed with cosmic rays in space. They were astronauts. So you saw a slight shift there. There were normal people that got in, in, endowed with these with these amazing powers, but mostly based on science. There's some exceptions. Yes, yeah, Spider-Man was bit by a radioactive spider, but then Peter Parker created his own web shooters as a smart kid and created his own web fluid based on... And obviously sci-fi stuff, but you know, at least was like, oh, this this kid built his own web shooters. So it was great that Stanley had that much influence because that really kick-started the uh, the comic uh, superhero boom again. In the fifties, it was dying out. It died out totally uh, with Marvel. Uh, was it was it Captain America went away? What was it fifty four? Uh, Captain America went away, and then for the next uh, six years. There really weren't any superheroes with Marvel. They were doing horror comics and monsters and creatures and things of that nature. Um, but then 1960 rolls around, 61, and then all of a sudden you have the Fantastic Four uh, explode onto the scene. And then you follow that uh, with Avengers and Spider-Man real quickly. Then you're off and running. And that really, really started modern comics as we know and love today. Yes, uh, DC still had... Uh, Superman comics and Wonder Woman and Flash and Captain Marvel uh, was there. The DC Captain Marvel, who's now Shazam. But those were sort of stuck in that creative rut where they probably, they hadn't changed in like 20, 25 years. They were still doing the same old, same old. Superman shows up in a comic, he beats some guy up, and the next comic, the same thing. He beats some guy up. The, Marvel grounded it a bit more. Where all the superheroes 
kind of were aware of each other more, but then it, it was a bigger deal when they came across each other by surprise, things of that nature. And yes, some comic fans will say, yeah, that happened with DC. But with, with, with Marvel, I think at least in the beginning, they did a better job of, at least when they started inter- re- introducing all these characters, they made it a bigger deal. It was like, oh, this is the first time, like, um, uh, like an, earlier, an early Avengers where, where like Spider-Man shows up and like fights Giant Man, for example, things like that. Or uh, an early Daredevil uh, comic, excuse me, early Spider-Man, maybe Spider-Man, I, uh, I think it's 16, where Daredevil shows up, for example, still in his yellow costume. So that they had all these, like, it was really, really like how they almost portray it in the movies where you have nothing in the Marvel, Marvel superhero scene was, went from nothing, all the superheroes disappeared, Submariner gone, uh, the original Human Torch gone, Captain America on ice, which they, you know, retconned after he came back, um, gone, and then all of a sudden, it's here, they're all here, they're appearing one after the other, which is kind of what Vision in uh, Civil War was, was talking about, oh, well, Iron Man shows up, and then all these other heroes show up, and all the villains show up, so that really was not all to Stanley. You had people like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, obviously, and others that were helping with that. But he co-created uh, Doctor Strange and, and X-Men, Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk, Daredevil, Spider-Man, X-Men. So you can't imagine the Marvel Universe without that, let alone these movies, just the comics I grew up with. And with Peter Parker specifically, you know, he was you know nearest and dearest to, to Stan Lee. Peter Parker sort of became the everyman sort of a... Uh, a geeky nerd character that didn't really exist before in comic books. You know, he wasn't Superman. He wasn't Batman, a, you know, a billionaire with a bunch of toys. Peter Parker, you know, is a, is a high school, 15, 16 year old kid that gets picked on by Flash Thompson. Um, Liz, Liz doesn't like him. Liz Allen thinks he's a, a, a nerd. He's so he pines after the, the, the hot high school girl doesn't like him. You know, he's, he's like, as he's a loner, He's a nerd. Nobody likes him. So when you're a kid growing up in any era, that's not really a common sort of superhero trope. At least back then, it was non-existent. So I think that's what appealed to me as a child because I was not necessarily a loner, but I was picked on. I had glasses. I was nerdy. You knew other kids that were nerdy got picked on. And so I think that's what drew people to Spider-Man. And then Spider-Man, though, also had, even though he became you know a, a successful superhero and you know the police were still after him in some aspects um jay jonah turned the city against him being a superhero he couldn't reveal his identity so that meant like oh i'm a superhero i can get all the girls and lizzo like me nope couldn't do that he couldn't beat up flash thompson even though he technically could you know with great power comes great responsibility that's one of the the best lines in the history of comics and that's all that's all stanley's influence there how do we make people identify more with our with our superheroes in our world? How do we make them? How do we give them the common man rub, so to speak, to make people in, more endeared to them? And that's why you know characters like Spider Man are so much more beloved today than characters like Green Lantern or Martian Manhunter or even Flash. These are these are fine characters, but they don't really get people's juices flowing like Spider Man or Iron Man or even Daredevil. You know these these more everyman people that have to that have problems in their personal lives or th- things they have to overcome. And being a superhero doesn't always help. Iron Man gets alcoholism at one point. He's got a huge ego. Uh, Peter Parker ends up he comes a superhero because he ends up uh, slacking and not stopping a, a robber. Ends up killing Uncle Ben. You know there's a lot of tragedy with these characters. And also in the Spider-Man comics, uh, th- there was other issues tackled. Not just the Spider-Man actually. 
uh, in Daredevil, uh, they they tackled uh, some issues there. Um, uh, there was what was the famous one where a Vietnam vet comes back and becomes blind, and then um, D- uh, Matt Murdock has to like mentor him and help him out. Um, Stanley made sure that Captain America during the Vietnam War era wasn't just pro rah rah USA. He gave Captain America conscience and saying, "No, I'm, I don't agree with this. I'm not going to go over there and fight." That's why Captain America. It wasn't like World War II or Captain America was was punching out, you know, uh, Nazis. Captain America wasn't punching out the Viet Cong during the Vietnam War. He was he stood he was out of that. He went off on his own during that period. And this is all Stanley's influence again. Um, obviously I talked about the X-Men and that being just a, a, a huge uh, metaphor for the civil rights movement and racism uh, in the 60s. And, and, uh, and there's, there's more. I'm probably forgetting some, but you see, this is all why Marvel Comics uh, from the 60s sort of took the lead at that point. And I, even one-off uh, comic books, uh, comic stories. Uh, Fantastic Four, and I'm not saying Stanley didn't write all these, but he wrote a chunk of these. Fantastic Four number... Let's see, 51, Stan Lee wrote that. This Man, This Monster. Uh, check it, it's a one-shot story. Uh, has to do with a, um, let's see. There's a there's a scientist that's jealous of the thing. They swap bodies. Ben, then um, ha- he goes out without being the thing for a while, while this other guy takes over. And, and then uh, the, the scientist ends up sacrificing himself at the end and everyone still thinks he's, he's really Ben, but he's not. And then Ben loses his normal life again for the second time. It's a one shot story. It's a tragic story on both ends of both Ben Grimm and this, this scientist that gets these powers, but can't follow through with being the heroic thing and then sacrifices himself. It's a beautiful story. But the point is, is that these are stories that were, that weren't common before people like Stanley got involved. Made you think a little bit. They weren't just, you know, uh, the super villain of the week beat them up story. These were a little deeper than that. Um, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, what was it, 96, 97, I want to say? 96, 97. I own one of these. Uh, which, what is one is it? There was a story, it was either 97, 98, 96, 97, where Harry Osborn, uh, Peter Parker's friend, becomes a drug addict. At the time, that was huge taboo to discuss. This is the late 60s, right? So it must have been 68, 69, or 70. So the Comics Code Authority didn't give them the little little stamp. So the Comics Code Authority started in the 50s, and they had to prove every comic storyline after they had all the freaking, you know, federal fucking uh, almost tribunals about, you know, violence in comics because they found one a deranged kid with a stack of uh, horror comic books from the 50s, and he, and he took an axe to someone. So they, so you couldn't come out with a comic unless it had a Comics Code Authority approval. It was a censorship thing. You couldn't have blood, overt amounts of blood. You couldn't have drug references, uh, sex, nudity, things of that nature. But for that comic book, uh, it was 96, Maze Farmer 96, 98. For that comic book, they said, screw it. We think this is important to talk about drug addiction. We don't care what the Comics Code Authority is going to do. We're going to come out with it anyway. And that's what they did. And so for that reason, it's an important comic for, for that purpose. I'm trying to do control F here and find this in this article because I, I have one of the issues. I have not read all three. I read, I think I have 96 or 97 there. Oh, it was 1971. Uh, Comics Code Authority refused to grant its seal because the stories depicted drug use, the anti-drug context was considered irrelevant. So, um, 
Lee had the story published without the comics code seal. The comic so well, Marvel won praise for its socially conscious efforts. The CCA subsequently loosened the code to, per- to per- permit negative depictions of drugs among New Freedom. So this is, again, I- I'm not going to be able to do justice to Stan Lee. And this is mostly off the top of my head. But these are the things that Stan Lee would champion. Progressiveness. Let's push the envelope about grounding our heroes and what stories we can tell here. Without just, It's not just about... You know, brawny superhero A punches supervillain B in the face. Like, that's not, that's where stories end up, but that's not what drives the story. That's not what keeps people coming back to read these stories. You have to make the characters interesting when they're in and out of their costumes. So, uh, he had a full life. He served in the, was it the Signal Corps in the Army during World War II? Uh, 95 years old. Uh, I know someone that was has been around for signings. Nice guy. I, I think um, people are sad because. They won't be able to see him in future Marvel movies, but a source tells me, and I think they, his manager said that, and he said that they've pre-filmed not just for the next few Marvel movies coming out. I think they pre-filmed a ton, tons of cameos with Stan Lee because obviously they knew the guy was getting older. He's ninety-five, hard to get around. Uh, he, he's in, he's in, uh, you know, el- like elderly, elderly care. So they filmed a bunch. I, I heard just random, you know, scenes of Stan Lee in different locations, so you can have a superhero like. Sort of look on the street and cut to him doing something, which is smart to do that, and then it keeps Stanley's legacy around more. Uh, I feel like now going up, going out to my bookshelf and reading my uh, best of Marvel comics. Uh, it was like an all one volume I got when I was like twenty uh, or eighteen years old, and, and I had some of these issues I t- talked about, like this man, this monster, Fantastic Four fifty one. I can't say check it out on YouTube because I don't know where you can look at these comics without buying a compilation. But thank you, Stanley. You've uh, I tweeted out you you've. You inspired so many to create. You've obviously entertained millions of people through the comics you helped create and stories. And the same goes for Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, and all those guys uh, from back then. It, it was a, it was, it was, you couldn't do much without the artist or the writer. It's a one-two combination there. And Steve Ditko uh, passed away, was it last year or earlier this year too, unfortunately. So you're kind of leaving uh, all the Silver Age guys are unfortunately now disappearing as well. The Silver Age of comics, which is... Uh, known as was it 60 to 69 that's how you define the silver age there or what we know of comics now basically that's when it started um yeah here's to you stan you, you had a you had a long life you sounded like a, a pretty good dude overall and uh you're going to be remembered and in, in, it's not comics it's films forever and all these cameos that people go nuts for nord vpn you've heard me talking about them before It's what I use to keep myself safe online, and you can too. If you care about your privacy and the security of your information, NordVPN is now offering 66% off a two-year plan when you go to nordvpn.com slash pat or use code pat at checkout. VPN is a virtual private network. Today, having one is more critical than ever. If you're doing anything online, your info and browsing habits are out there for people to get a hold of. And ISPs can track our every move and use our private info to their benefit by selling our browsing habits or even slowing down throttling the sites we visit. When you use NordVPN, you have access to over 4,000 super speedy servers in 62 countries, and those connections secure your information using military-grade encryption. That means your information and what you do online is nearly impossible to track. I use the NordVPN app on my phone and my laptop. It's available on iOS devices, Android, PC, Mac. It's unlimited bandwidth, and you get a money back guarantee and one account just one account lets you protect up to six devices all right there's a special offer again 66 percent off a two-year plan go to nordvpn.com slash pat or use code pat 
at checkout and get what PC Mag calls the top editor's choice for a VPN solution. Go, 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 go try it. I'm proud to be working with ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers healthy, 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-breed pork. The incredible quality of ButcherBox meats starts with a commitment to raising animals humanely and free of antibiotics and hormones. Each butcher box comes with at least 8 to 11 pounds of meat. That's a lot of meat, which is enough for 24 individual sized meals. You can choose from five different box types, all beef, beef and chicken, beef and pork, mixed box, or a custom box where you choose your own cuts. Again, this is high quality, healthy protein you can trust. 100% grass fed and finished free range uh, organic. Let's try that again. I'm probably working with Butcher Box. Butcher Box delivers healthy, 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-breed pork. The incredible quality of Butcher Box meats starts with a commitment to raising animals humanely and free of antibiotics and hormones. Each Butcher Box comes with at least 8 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual-sized meals. You can choose from five different types, all beef, beef and chicken, beef and pork, a mixed box or custom box where you choose your own cuts. Again, this is high-quality, healthy protein you can trust, 100% grass-fed and finished beef, and free-range organic chicken. Heritage-free uh, breed pork, what does that mean? It's old-world pork before they bred out all the fat and flavor. So that's that's the good pork. That's the good stuff. <laughs> you can cook with peace of mind knowing that you're feeding your family healthy, high-quality meat. Again, there's five different boxes to choose from. I went to the website. It's all laid out very clearly, and it tells you what you get with each box. The types of meats, the cuts, and the amount of each cut. These are quality meats you would not find in a typical grocery store. I go shopping at my local grocer, and you might get lucky once in a while and find something grass-fed. Organic, not so much, but it's going to cost you a lot of money if, if you do manage to find it. Here, it's convenient easy to have these high-quality meats delivered right to your doorstep. It's only about $5 per meal. All right, here's a special offer for $20 off your first box and a package of free bacon in every box for the for the life of your subscription. Free bacon. Go to butcherbox.com slash not so common. Enter code not so common at checkout. Again, that special offer is $20 off your first box and a package of free bacon in every box for the life of your subscription. Free bacon is like the best phrase ever. Go to butcherbox.com slash not so common and enter code not so common at checkout. This is great news. I spoke about this on the last podcast about China reversing their stance on rhino and tiger parts for medicinal use. So there was an insane story that came out where the WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, was uh, upset about, and everyone else was, about China was going to ease their 25-year ban on rhino and tiger tiger parts. And they said, well, it was going to be for, you know, tigers and rhinos in captivity, that you can use the parts for that, and... And that didn't fly with anyone because that opens up the black market even more. You're sort of easing, you're allowing people to get away with things. You're, you're creating this gray area. And there's not many rhinos left to begin with or tigers in the wild. So why would you, you, you can't give an inch on these issues. This is not, this, this isn't stuff that's curing cancer. This is all bullshit. These fake medicines. And everyone knows that. So there's no reason to allow this. So everyone got up in arms about about this policy. So fortunately, at least for now, China is reversing their stance. According to the Washington Post, China makes a U-turn on legalizing tiger and rhino trade following international outcry. Thank, thank goodness for that. China has halted a directive that partially legalized the domestic trade in farmed rhinoceros and tiger parts. Um, 
A senior official uh, in China's cabinet said in a state media interview Monday that implementation of an October directive reviving the market for, for the endangered animal parts has been postponed after study. They did not, though, specify how long the delay would last. Um, <laughs> this official said the Chinese government has long been dedicated to the cause of wildlife protection and has made achievements recognized by the world. Well, then you can't do this. You have to realize this was a mistake. Uh, the state council unveiled a directive late October ending a 25-year ban on trade in rhino and tiger parts. And then there was an outcry. The conservation groups applauded China's latest reversal. Uh, China was praised last year for banning the elephant ivory trade altogether. Fine. Jesus Christ, what year is it? They were still uh, had a, an ivory trade? I saw an ivory... I, I went to an estate sale recently. I saw... I was. It was probably legal because it was so old. It was probably from the 30s or 20s. I saw this elephant carved thing with ivory panels on the side of the elephant. So it was like, um, like the, I guess like the rucksack you put on a horse for an elephant for travel, transportation. I could tell it was ivory. It was, it was, it was browned and golden and old, but it was ivory. I felt weird even looking at that and wanting to purchase that. It was. It's probably fine. I mean, that elephant that they farmed that from or killed for that for that ivory has been dead since you know the twenties. But I felt weird looking at that. And it is again, it's legal to own uh, its antique ivory things before like all these laws went into place. I just felt weird about that. Still, it's just it's just wrong to me to do that. You're, you're wasting these these creatures that it's not it's not like there's there's a there's a million of these guys out there. There's not. And so it's, you can't go to the store and buy more elephants and rhinos when they're when they're gone from uh, from the earth. You can't do that. So I'm very happy about this uh, reversal. And plus, it's just creepy to raise something as as beautiful and as rare as a tiger in captivity just to you know kill it for for its fucking you know tiger balls or its bones. And they're not going to wait for them to die out of natural causes. You know, you want to make that argument that we wait for that. I, yeah, they're not going to do that. You know, this isn't like, you know, this isn't like veal. At least someone's going to eat it for some purpose of value. And, you know, veal's kind of a creepy thing when you really get down to it. I don't eat veal that much. Like once you're going to an Italian restaurant or Frank will make it. But you see my point. At least you're consuming it for some good. This is, you know, hocus pocus uh, medicine that no one should believe in anymore. Uh... So there you have it. Uh, good on China for reversing this, but that's why you, you can't let the, you, you can't give an inch on this stuff uh, on this on this conservation. This is uh, this is this is not a joke. I always say that if I ever became like a rich philanthropist, uh, my money is going towards conservation efforts. It's, it's going towards uh, San Diego Zoo. It's going to getting you know more animals back out in the wild. And I hate to say, you know, I'll hire some mercenaries. <laughs> I'm joking, but hiring some mercenaries to go out to Africa and protect these animals. I think there's some out there, some ex-military uh, U.S. They go out there and they just they're there by the elephants. They don't. If poachers come near them. It's going to be trouble. Trouble. Mm. All right, uh, this is going to be a somewhat short NASCOM podcast, I believe. But we have some questions. This is from. Oh, no, I got one more weird story. Uh, you know, <clears throat> weirder than, than a, you know, a reaction to a mobile game. It's a Japanese man happily uh, married to 16-year-old hologram singer. Okay. So this is a guy who married literally a hologram. All right. This guy's name is... Akiyako Kondo, we'll just call him Kondo, had a $17,600 ceremony 
a wedding ceremony. That's more than some people's real weddings. Um, he <laughs> He's a 35-year-old guy. He wed a 16-year-old virtual reality singer named Hatsune Miku. Uh, 40 guests gathered at Tokyo Hall to watch uh, this person, Kondo, tie the knot with an animated character, according to Geek.com, presented in the form of a portable stuffed doll. So, okay, I thought at least there'd be like, this would be like sort of a um, a Michael Jackson hologram performance where you'd actually see the hologram there, which is like all the rage now. Uh, but no, he actually just had a, a stuffed doll with him. Uh, described the... <laughs> so the, the, the news reporter there described the, 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 the plush dolls having saucer eyes and a length, lengthy aquamarine pigtails. Uh, I never cheated on her, and I've always been in love with Miku-san, according to Kondo, who uses a Japanese honorific suffix meant as a title of respect. I've been thinking about her every day, he said a week after the wedding. All right. Um, Hatsune Miku is the name of a Vocaloid software voice bank developed by Krypton Future Media, and it's anthropomorphic anime character. Okay. So he went for an anime character based upon a based upon Vocaloid software voice bank, a voice bank. So not even like, this isn't like a popular like cartoon character at all. This is something, it's like a mascot for a company. It sounds like, okay. Uh, her personification has been marketed as a virtual idol and has performed on stage at concerts at, at concerts as an animated projection. All right. Kondo has been living with a moving, talking hologram of Miku, which floats in a $2,800 desktop device since March. They have hologram desktop de- desktop devices? I can have one for Ian. Uh, you know, he can just call in. I'll just have a hologram of Ian. Uh, Nate Doggett here on the C- uh, when, we, when we do the CU podcast. I'm in love with the whole concept of Hatsune Miku, but I got married to the Miku of my house. The school administrator explained. This guy's a school administrator? He considers himself an ordinary married man. Okay. This is what I'm getting to here. I'm, not, I'm really not trying to take shots at this guy. But there's always something beneath the surface when it comes to these stories. Always something. There must be some people that can't come forward and say they want to hold a wedding. I want to give him a supportive push, Kano said. So he, I think he believes there'll be more uh, plush hologram weddings after this. Um, the, device, the hologram device manager issued the couple of marriage certificate for this, by the way. Uh, he claims, here you go. This is what happened. He claims a woman at his former workplace bullied him into a nervous breakdown and he vowed never to marry until he met Miku. Okay. I'm pretending I'm speaking to Kondo. Kondo. Okay, buddy. Someone bullied you, but okay. A woman bullied you. Maybe you like the woman. She was mean to you. Doesn't mean you got to go off the deep end, buddy. There's other women out there for you. A lot of fish in the sea. We don't need to be marrying holograms. I'm not sure I'm going too far here. But I love knowing no boundaries, but uh, a hologram that you're holding up a plush doll. If you want, if you want a real woman, as soon as they, they Google your name and find this article, all bets are off, Condo buddy. I'm, I'm trying to help you out here. We, we can go out to the bar together. I'll you know I'll buy you a drink. We'll have some fish tacos. Uh, I'll introduce you to a friend or two, maybe. Maybe you can toss the toss the plush away, buddy. This isn't doing any favors. You might think it's a good idea now. You might be filling that, that hole in your in your soul right now due to this woman bullying you, but they're gonna they're gonna Google your name and, and it's not gonna be good news. Uh 
whenever you get on whatever the whenever the uh whenever the 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 japanese version of tinder do they have one i don't know the the japanese bumble (laughs) they have one this is not going to bode well for you in the future you're gonna have to hire one of those forensic uh companies to scrub your scrub the internet of this article and me talking about this i'd be scrubbed all right that's that's all i'm gonna say man condu buddy you you can't let that one bad experience get to you can't let it happen to you other other fish in the sea other maybe other holograms (laughs) i guess all right, we're going to do some Q&A. This is from, I think this is from at Kate, Kate Cora. Uh, what advice would you give to people about coping with stressful events in the news? I, I wouldn't necessarily say when it comes to stressful events in the news to just turn it off. Uh, I want to, I'll bundle this with, with uh, John Riggs asking about, you know, the, if the fires have affected me, the, the Southern California fires. They haven't, but I've seen them affect other people. And they're only, to me, like two and a half hours away, three hours. And there have been fires in, in Southern California and San Diego County before. Um, you want to be aware of what's going on in the world. It's important to you to know what happens in the midterms or whatever. Uh, the, the, you know, if the president comes out and says something really ignorant about the California fires instead of saying something hopeful to bring us together and to acknowledge pain and suffering and loss, I know that's setting too high a bar, too high a bar for the president. But when these things happen, at some point you have to take it in stride because you have to still live your life every day. And I, I've said this before in the podcast, I firmly believe that good happens inside out. So it happens in interpersonal communication and interaction with your friends and your family and people that your coworkers. And if you're a school teacher, uh, your students, people you interact with at your job, that you, you pay it forward in a way and you just try to be cheerful to people. And that sort of alleviates the, not only alleviates the pain, but it shows that, that the world, while sometimes can seem, can seem too big and too hurtful, when you boil down to it, you only control what you can, what you can control, and in your daily life, if you only focus on that when it's tough, I think that's a good coping mechanism. Because how do I put this into words? Not that the bad things will go away, but the bad things in the world around you, thinking about them to such a huge extent, definitely won't make your your daily life any better. It won't. Again, don't be, you don't you got to be ignorant of, of of things, but don't focus too much on those things you don't like at the, at the current point in time, or else you'll just be a miserable person no matter what. And don't bank on those those big things in the news. Uh, don't think that how you feel day to day can only change if those things change. So if you hate the current political party in power, you shouldn't base your whole existence on that. Your whole, your whole notion of happiness shouldn't, shouldn't exist upon that. There's so much more out there. Just, you're, you're wasting so much if you go that far. I'm not saying, uh, Kate, you're doing that. But in general, you just can't bank on that. If there's a bad election, you can't go crying about it uh, for too long. you gotta get, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get on with your life, help where you can. If, if you see injustice in the world, you help where you can. But you have to remain positive because then people don't want to be around you. And this is whatever you're affiliation, whatever you're talking about, if you're just constantly miserable about the state of affairs and you let that take over your, your personality, people, um, people, you'll either just draw those sort of same people in you, but people don't, don't like negativity by and large. They don't want that in their lives. It's, it's a poison after a while. So you have to be careful not to let that poison in too much. You keep, it's sort of like keeping your work at work. You don't bring it home with you. Try not to an extent to bring, um, 
the bad things home with you. Of course, they're directly affecting you. Like this awful fire in the fires in uh, Malibu in Southern California, a uh, paradise. Unfortunately, looks like it's been wiped out. These the towns have been wiped out three hours away. It's awful. What can you do? Well, you could um, you can donate to like the, the Red Cross, Americares, organizations like that that need the money. If you're local, obviously there's you can give help locally. Uh, people need housing. Donating people donating water. They're donating their time. Things of that nature. There's things that you can do if you're involved there. But if you're across the country, you're far away, um, and these things are getting to you, realize that there are people that are trying to... You're not alone in your thoughts about these bad situations. So other people are, are taking care of it. These these I'm talking about these huge, larger-than-life things. I'm not talking about, like, you know, your, your dumb neighbor down the street whose dog's barking too much. That's your problem. You probably have to deal with that. But if there's something happening across the world, you can't actually deal with that you can't focus on it too much. You just can't. It's just not, it's just counterproductive. You're not, it's not going to accomplish anything. So I know that's sort of a weird answer, but if you want, but in stress in general though, if you want, if you want to just give general advice about stress, uh, which I've had from time to time, uh, being on the internet, uh, breathing exercises are great. There's, there's uh there's like a peaceful, you know, meditation apps on your phone, even that give you exercise and sounds. Uh, I'm a big proponent of yoga. I should do it more than once a week. Uh, the gym, um, talking to talking to others, talking to a friend, things of that nature. Going to the movies, go see Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> things like that. Um, at Maz eight eight nine one, Brian, any crazy Black Friday experiences or stories to tell? Not really. Um, my dad would go out with my uncle on some Black Friday deals. They're usually like cheap small TVs. Uh, I think it was like Tops was like a regional electronic store chain, at least in New Jersey, New York, like kind of like PC Richards, but smaller. I remember he went out. It was literally, it used to be Midnight Madness. It literally used to be uh, midnight. Now, now they, they open the stores, you know, at 4 p.m. on Thanksgiving. But it was weird when they had Midnight Madness sales. So you would go out at midnight, 1130, and they had door busters. Excuse me. So I, I remember one time my dad came back my uncle and there was like a cheap, 20 inch TV, you know, for like $150. Now, back in the 80s, that was like a huge, like a 20 inch TV cost like $500 back then. <laughs> so TVs were expensive. Now you can buy a 20 inch LCD for like 100 bucks uh, in, in today's money. So I remember my dad coming at this point saying, oh, they had like five of them there. And that's what happens with doorbusters sometimes. Uh, but no, I don't necessarily have any bad Black Friday sales. I stopped doing Black Friday probably. In my mid twenties, when I tried to go to Best Buy to get a computer deal, I was like, "This is bullshit. It's not worth my time." And then after that, you had Cyber Monday, and you had all the online deals and Amazon with their insane deals, and that was the end of that. And I feel bad for these uh, these big businesses going out of, out of business, like Circuit City, and things of that nature. But God, going out and standing those lines really, really is awful. People would go out. My local Toys R Us and my local Best Buy, they would be outside at least three a.m. 3 a.m. in the morning for Black Friday. Sometimes that was enough. I think one time we tried going out even like 8 o'clock when it opened and the line was out the, out the door. It's just nuts. So yeah, I, st- I haven't been to a Black Friday deal in an actual store at least since I lived in New Jersey, 2008, 2007 at least. Okay, um, this is from, who I don't know who, who left this one, but he said the man, Becky Lynch. Wow, Becky Lynch has been on fire on, on SmackDown. And I, I'm recording this before SmackDown. I don't see what happens, but she was on Raw. She invaded 
Uh, she beat up Ronda Rousey. Of course, this is all storyline stuff. She got her nose broken by Nia Jax, who, by the way, is very dangerous in the ring. Nia Jax has only been wrestling for a couple of years. She's still very green. She still has injured more wrestlers than she should. And she straight up punched Becky Nose in the face, bloodied her nose. The good news is that it was an awesome visual and that blood all over her face. The camera was on her, and it was like a star-making moment, like when Stone Cold had the had the bloody crimson mask WrestleMania 13 against Bret Hart with Ken Shamrock refereeing. I guess lost all the audience members because talking about wrestling. But Becky Lynch, she she was always a hard worker. The crowd always got behind her. They turned her heel. She's like now a tweener. They realize, oh wow, she's she's now the most popular wrestler, arguably. Maybe not on the planet, but for WWE, she she is beloved now. She's like the new Stone Cold, so to speak. And she calls herself the man, which is funny as hell. Uh, but I think she, latest news I saw, she's out of Survivor Series because of a concussion um, due to, the, to that getting smacked in the face by Nia Jax. It was like a full-on punch. I know accidents happen in wrestling, but that, a full-on weight-behind punch, he got decked when you see the replay on that, which is a shame. But she'll come back stronger, and then, you know, she's a superstar, you gotta let her run with the ball, as I say. WWE has a some has a sometimes WWE screws up these situations, and when someone gets too hot, they they throw a, uh, throw some uh, cold water on them. Um, this is from at Le- this is from Lexi at PR P P Rationality. With the holidays coming up, any any uh, fun to share memories or things you miss from yesteryears, like special specials or foods or anything that isn't as frequent nowadays. Well, I still love the Italian pastries. For Christmas, uh, I do miss the Sunday circulars. I, I, they still probably have them with the you know the Sunday ads with your with the funnies with the comic section. I I miss looking at all those, looking at all the Super Nintendo games I never would get, or all the Nintendo games and all the Chuck Norris figures. I miss though the Sears catalog and the service merchandise catalog because they had everything. I mean, they had everything, not just toys and video games. They had. Everything from you know BB guns to computers to lawn furniture. It was like a 500-page Bible. But the toy section was insane because the dioramas, especially the Sears catalog and the service merchandise as well, that was more, I think, Northeast service merchandise. The diorama displays they had for all the toys for like G.I. Joe and Transformers were beautiful. So they it wasn't just like a regular Sunday uh, circular. It was like, oh, the, you know, black and white pictures mocked up from an artist. The G.I. Joes and Transformers were like on, 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 on like a dirt fort or they were on like a, a diorama model. And it was great. So I remember making my, my lists and I, and I know I was greedy as a kid. I would ask for like two of each toy brand, which made, it my, which made life harder for my dad. That's why looking back, I had like two Chuck Norris figures. I had a couple wrestling figures. I had a lot of G.I. Joe and a lot of, um, uh, a lot of like, um, he-Man figures, but the most of the toy lines I had, I had no more than two. I'd like, I'd like one or two Thundercats because I asked for everything. So I should have had less Thundercats and folk. I had one Air Raiders toy. I had two Dungeons and Dragons figures when I was a kid. <laughs> I think they're worth money now. So that's what I miss. I miss going through the circulars as a kid, uh, but more importantly, going through like the, the catalogs. That's just, you can't, you can't beat that. And, and making that Santa wish list that you realize when you're six years old, was a sham because your dad didn't take off the Kmart and Bradley's price tags off your toys at Christmas. So by 1987 rolls around, seven-year-old Pat was like, yeah, there's no Santa. My dad's not even trying to hide it. <laughs> Wasn't even trying to hide it. My mom either. They were just like, no, no, just give me your list. I was like, okay, thanks, dad. That's magical. Finally, at uh, Mia, 
7118, do you miss New Jersey? Uh, you know what? I go back to Jersey once a year now. I go back... Uh, I go back usually in September for a, sh- a show, a video game con. I've been there three years in a row. My parents unfortunately moved, so there's less of a reason uh, when they're out of the state, moved to Pennsylvania. Uh, I miss the people. The people just seem like my people. They're more the attitude, not necessarily. Yeah, they can be all over the top and abrasive. You know, the East Coast, Jersey, New York, yeah, like, yeah, you know. But at least I know it's like it's it's it's, it's particular to that region, that sort of attitude and personality. So it's like my people. I'll never forget that. And I, and I miss uh, I miss obviously the diners. There's not there's there's some diners in, in San Diego, but not too many. And there's not many that are open 24 hours. So I miss the diners. I miss the pork roll slash Taylor ham. Uh, leave a comment below whether or not you think pork roll or Taylor ham is the right one for you. And I and I miss I miss the Jersey Shore. I do miss the Jersey Shore. I went back two years ago. Was it two years ago? No, I went back a year and a half ago with my girlfriend at the time. I won her uh, a frog bog uh, plush frog, which I think she still has it. She didn't throw it away when I when we uh, when we broke up. <laughs> we, she, she, I think she kept that. I think she tossed my. I think she uh, no no she she gave back my NES. I gave her, but she broke it. Uh, not her fault though. But we're still friends though. We we still hang out. I'm still there. We we both love each other. But uh, yeah, that's what I, that's what I miss about New Jersey. Uh, uh, are you from uh, New Jersey, Maria? Asking the question just out of curiosity. People must be from New Jersey. Uh, asking that uh, because you know being the, the expression of it's, New Jersey is a nice state to be from is nice, but there are beautiful parts of New Jersey. New Jersey does get a get a bad rap at, at the end of the day. The, New Jersey is not all not all the Meadowlands and not all Elizabeth and not all you know refineries on the Turnpike. There's, that's that's the, the middle of New Jersey, but there's some beautiful parts of New Jersey. Cape May is beautiful. The Pine Barrens, the Northwest Jersey is. Uh, you have mountains and you have lakes, lake systems, things in that nature. Uh, there's beautiful parts in Jersey, and obviously you love the malls. You gotta love the malls. All right, that's it for this uh, not so common podcast, uh, guys. I got uh, I got some uh, announcements to make real quick. Um, oh yeah, before I talk about that, uh, I know I know people are upset about the uh, you and I talking about uh, the mobile Diablo game on on the CU podcast. And I'm not sure if Ian wants to address that when we come back with the CU podcast next week. I'm going to wait to see what he says. And we're going to decide from there. Uh, at this point, you know, people are unsubscribing from my YouTube channel. You know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, I expected I expected uh, backlash to, to some extent. I'd be stupid to think if I that that wasn't going to happen. But it's happened before uh, where people get upset at me for things I say in the podcast and or Ian. Usually when Ian's not at the podcast, when. Uh, uh, PewDiePie stuff when he when he made an ass out of himself and I, I commented on that a while back. Uh, Clico Chameleon stuff uh, when I got overzealous back then. This stuff happens. You can't you can't ha- have it both ways. You can't put yourself out there to entertain people, potentially piss them off, and not expect these things to happen once in a while. So it is what it is. I'm not sure. I'll talk to Ian about. I'm sure Ian has some comments about it, but you know it is what it is. That's all I can say about it right now. Uh, we'll, we'll see uh, what happens when we record on Tuesday. Uh, all right, uh, that's it. Um, if you if you like this podcast, subscribe on iTunes, uh, uh, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the podcast. You can like the podcast. You can uh, leave a leave a, a comment, and you can let others know how much you like it. Especially on YouTube, where I'm beloved right now. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Finally, finally, if you want to help support me directly on the Not So Common podcast and my other endeavors, uh, I have a Patreon. It's Patreon dot com 
slash Pat Contry. Thanks, everyone, and I'll see you next time.